You feeling wide awake yet? You feeling back to normal yet? We do have to get rid of this daylight saving stuff, don't you think? Didn't you have a sluggish day yesterday? Didn't today start out sluggish? The sunshine could help, but overall, we have to get rid of this daylight saving stuff. Every year, we see the stats, and the stats say that in the United States, an extra 30 people lose their lives because of daylight saving time. The fact that you're taking away an hour takes a while to adjust. You wake up in the morning, it's darker. Everybody always says, well, it's bright at night and it's, no, it's dark in the morning. It's like going back to November when you feel like hibernating because it's getting so dark in the morning and it takes so long for the sun to come up. I don't know. I'm not a fan. And in Europe, they are looking at getting rid of it to the point that unless somebody changes something, looks like by about 2021, it'll be gone. They won't bother doing it. We're not even moving on this. This would take nothing. People wouldn't even notice it. Just pass a law that says, enough. Let's just stick. Stick at this one right now. Just let this go for the rest of eternity. Enough. No more switching back and forth. This was done during the war, you know, and it's something that isn't like income tax because, you know, income tax came from the war to raise money. How are we going to raise money to pay for this war? Well, can we get money out of people? Well, let's tax their incomes. Oh, that's horrible. But then they did it. And now we still pay for it. And we just look at it as being, yeah, well, it's that's just a tax that helps Pay for all kinds of things. Without income tax, what would governments do? They would be forced to really clamp down on their spending. No more fancy dinners and flying back and forth. Yeah, no, it would it would be worse than that. They need the income tax money. We don't need this. It's not saving us any money. And in a country of 300 million people, they claim they're losing an extra 30 lives a year because things do spike on that Monday and Tuesday after daylight saving time comes in or when it ends. So in our country, we divide that by 10. We're still losing a person. We are losing a person. We cannot have that. All right. Enough of daylight savings. Just got a note saying, amen. No to daylight savings. Anyone who says there is extra daylight is wrong. The planet rotates at the same speed. See, this is exactly right. It's only the time of day the light is there that changes. You're exactly right. How insane is this? We've been led to believe that, well, it adds more daylight in the evening. No, it takes it away from the morning. And I was really enjoying when I was getting up. And it wasn't light, but it was it was lighter. This morning was, what, 8 o'clock before you, you could shut off the lights in your house? Give me a break. Okay, that's one thing from today. We're also going to have a good conversation about cell phones today in a number of different ways. Not just the ban in schools, because I have a few thoughts on that. And you know what? I'm kind of like Laura Elliott from the Thames Valley District School Board in that I have some concerns about an out-and-out ban. We don't need out-and-out bans here. We need to realize the practicality of phones. I would love to know where this is coming from, and I don't know whether I can take advantage of the fact that it's March break. I'm hoping I can. I'm hoping we can track down some teachers 
who may just be tuning into London Live by accident today, didn't know it was here because you're always hard at work at this time of day, and you can give us an idea of where this is coming from because it seems to be coming from a campaign promise. That's wrong. Anything that comes from a campaign promise, you know, it, it's like watching my old buddy Donald Trump in the States. What's he doing? He does a lot of his stuff based on his campaign promises. Well, I promised to do this, so I'm going to check the boxes because that's what will make the people like me. Okay, well, some of them don't apply anymore. And when you make a campaign promise, if you're not, if you're making a big one, and it's one that people care about, and then you're not following through on it, that's one thing. If you're just saying something, yeah, we're going to do something about a cell phone ban in schools, and you, you then revisit it, I think that's okay. I would want to know from teachers, do you want this? Because ultimately, that's who matters in this question. And we'll ask that in about a half hour from now. So we'll get into talking about cell phones. I don't know if you've seen the story about Antonis Mavropoulos, this is one of those wild ones. We had, of course, a tragedy on the weekend, and we had lives lost, not just due to daylight saving, but because of a plane crash from Ethiopia Airlines. You had victims from more than 30 countries. There were 18 Canadians, seven people from England, 32 Kenyans. I mean, it was, it was absolutely tragic. Now we get stories like the one from Antonis Mavropoulos. Mr. Mavropoulos is from Greece, and he is part of the International Solid Waste Association, which had him traveling on that day. And for whatever reason, he showed up to get on that flight, and he was a little bit late. And because of whatever was happening at the gate, he was trying to get through, and they, they wouldn't let him. You No, you, you were late getting here. This is why we say you have to arrive for a flight, especially if it's going to be an international flight, much earlier than what you're arriving now. So, sorry, this isn't going to work. And they didn't let him through. And he's still alive. That's one of those stories that you look and you say, wow. How does that even happen? I mean, we had stories like that. We have stories like that after every plane crash. The people who were not on that plane, and for whatever reason, why they were not on it. Well, this one, he just didn't get there on time. He said he could see the last passengers, passengers still in the jetway going out to the plane, but they wouldn't let him through because they hadn't had time to check him or because they had already you know, put everybody else through, and that was going to be it. They cross-checked his identity. They questioned him on not boarding the aircraft, um, and he didn't get on the plane. Absolutely wild. So we're going to talk cell phones on the show today, and we're going to look at this in a number of different directions, not just classroom. Again, I'm hoping that we have a few teachers who are listening to London Live today who can help us out, but... I am also looking at cell phones in general because Jacqueline Carbone said, have you seen this last week? And I looked at it, and of course I had not seen it. But it was fubbing and what it means to use your phone when you're in the company of somebody else. And anymore it's so easy to have somebody talking and just go, oh, so a notification just popped up on my phone. In fact, that just happened now. You and I are talking, and a notification just popped up on my phone. Want to see what it says? Well, you're drawn to it. And I'm left to read why Nikita Kucherov is the no-brainer of MVPs. 
If I was sitting here with my wife and all of a sudden, and if she was telling me something that was going on or we were just having a conversation and then boop, the notification comes on and I was to look and go, why Nikita Kucherov is the no brainer for NHL MVP. Uh, yeah, that's, that's nothing I'm even going to read. This is just some kind of opinion piece. This is some kind of clickbait that because I have a notification for the score, I like the score, sorry, um, it's going to pop up on my phone. But it keeps us from what we're doing now. It keeps us from our own relationships. And in fact, let's face it, I think we've all been in this setting. I am ashamed to admit that I have. I have missed something that somebody has said to me because all of a sudden my my attention was turned to my phone. So we'll start with cell phones in schools and we'll branch out even further than that. Plus, we're going to talk some marijuana today and we are going to talk to somebody that by the end of this weekend may have fixed a problem in the world. It is that simple because they're having something called She Hacks 3. This is happening at Western University and it takes some of the brightest female minds in engineering and coding and it puts them into a room and then it throws some real life problems at them. And I'm not talking about how to keep your fruit fresh. That's not the kind of problem that tends to be thrown at this group of individuals. That would be a waste of time. These individuals wind up looking at things like Parkinson's. How do we design something, some sort of handheld tool, that makes it easier for Parkinson sufferers to use? How do we do that? Let's figure that out. And that's what they go to work on. And they have a 12-hour hacking session, and they go to town. And sometimes they come up with some pretty revolutionary answers. So we'll find out more about that. So lots of stuff still ahead. Plus, I retweeted something a little while ago, and I'm trying to find an answer on it. We may have to talk about this after the next news break. We'll see. Uh, I'll see if I can get an answer on it. But Pete Dalladay who is the morning show host on Fresh Radio in Peterborough, came out to his car not too long ago, and it had a big Turk under it. You know the chocolate bars? Has anyone actually consumed a big Turk? I always stayed away from those. It had, like, red gummy bear in the middle. Never a fan of that. No, sorry. Red gummy bear covered in chocolate. But it was under his windshield wiper. And the question was... If someone gives you a wrapped chocolate bar, so this had not been compromised that he could tell. I don't know how closely he examined it for needle holes or anything like that. But there was a chocolate bar, free chocolate bar, under his windshield wiper. Would you eat it? I just got a note back from Pete now, as a matter of fact. Look at how amazing this is. Uh, it arrived at 116, and it's now 117. And there are two words. I said, hey, what was the verdict on the Big Turk? Did you eat that? And he has just sent back to me, hell yeah, with an exclamation mark. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. If you want to get through on any topics today, you can also email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. We're going to be talking about Juno's Week in just a moment and Dundas Place and how that is going to work for the weekend. But to kick off the show right, let's say hi to Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you? Oh, not too bad, thank you. Am I speaking to Mike? You are. 
Who did you, well, you, you want to be speaking to? Well, nobody. Well, I spoke to um, Craig this morning, but you you sound different. It must be my cell phone. Hmm. I don't have a cold, so I, I can't help you out. Marilyn, what's happening today? Well, it's a gorgeous day. I'm not doing too much today, but tomorrow night I'm taking my grandson out for supper over to Earl. Anyways, he went to Cuba last week, and he's back safe and sound and had a wonderful time. Now, I want to tell you something. I hate daylight saving time, too. I have to put every doggone clock in my apartment forward. And then the fall, I have to put them all back, and it's a nuisance. Ridiculous it exercise. Is- we should stop doing that. Well, I think it was all right during the war. I could see it then, but not now. And, uh, of course, I guess it's for the the rich to play golf so they can play golf longer <laughs> or something. But, but you know any- what? Those 6 o'clock in the morning tea times, those are the ones that you tend to want. And a lot of the people, whether they're rich or not, those are the tea times they go after. You get a round of golf in, then you still have the rest of your day. You feel good. In the war, they put it in so that you had longer sun at night or longer light and you would be using less energy to turn on the lights in the house that was where it came from so it's time to get rid of it Marilyn I absolutely agree and then we can save you the task of having to turn all of your clocks back you have a great day it's even got the birds mixed up see and hey when it's for the birds we can understand it when it's not for the birds gone done (laughs) Marilyn you have a great day Oh, you too, Mike. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll find out how Dundas Place is going to operate this weekend because, in a way, this is going to be the test. So if you want to see what Dundas Place is all about, the things that it will offer, this is going to be it. So we've got details with the manager of Dundas Place, Savannah Sewell, in about two minutes from now. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Juno's week underway. Lots of great stuff happening. Have you seen any celebrities? We should do some celebrity sightings. You could be out having a burger, and you look up, and I know that person. Look, they're in town. You might walk by them on the sidewalk. If you have had any celebrity sightings so far, might still be a little early. Then shoot me an email, mike at 980cfpl.ca. Dundas Place is going to be absolutely hopping, and it's going to show off some of the things it is able to do later on this week. So it's time to find out exactly what those things are and how we can all take advantage, because I'm pretty sure it's not going to cost us anything to take part. Savannah Sewell is the manager of Dundas Place and joins us on London Live. Savannah, how is Juno's week going so far? It's going good. It's busy, but it's good. It feels like something, you know, you can feel a bit of a buzz in the city. It feels nice on my um on my drive-in this morning, I noticed all the tents being built. So I was like, oh, this is this is happening. It's real. <laughs> Definitely. And not only that, we've got a little warming of the weather, which should allow people to walk around maybe a little bit more. Never mind what it says on Saturday. We'll fix Saturday before it gets here. Yes, please. I was hoping that you could take care of Saturday weather, but I'm feeling very optimistic. Um, yeah, even just the sunshine out today. I don't know if it's the daylight savings time, but I just feel like, it's coming, and it's all part of uh, part of what's supposed to the plan that's supposed to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about what is happening because Friday and Saturday are going to be big days, and they start with a word that everybody seems to like, and that word is free. Yes, I love that word too. Yeah. So the programming on Friday and Saturday on Sunday's place is free, as you mentioned. 
Um, we've got a fabulous partner on Friday. We're partnering with Fanshawe College to bring you Fanshawe Live. So, um, you know, Fanshawe has two campuses right on Dundas Place, which makes it um, an amazing opportunity for both Dundas Place and Fanshawe College to work together. So you can expect uh, bands to play. We've got a stage set up outside. We've got a skating rink. We've got giant swings coming. We're kicking off the day with splashing boots for all the families uh, who are out there celebrating March break this week. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real opportunity to just engage and connect with our community in a free way, which is super exciting. Yeah. Okay, free and splashing. That sounds great. <laughs> what is splashing boots? Splashing Boots is a family, uh, well, they're kids entertainers. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, it's, a, it's a man and a woman, and they sing amazing songs. Of, um, I guess those parents with the smaller kids would hopefully know about Splashing Boots, but we're excited to have them kick off the stage uh, on Friday. And then there'll be a, uh, there's a long list of bands through the MIA program at Fanshawe that'll actually be performing on Friday. And then on Saturday... Um, on, we'll have an, we'll have another uh, roster of bands playing, and that's through the London Music Office, actually. So, partnering with the London Music Office on the Saturday programming. So, those bands have been playing through the uh, Host City Music Exchange program. So, Corey Crossman, the Music Officer, he's been working on that. So, it was also another great fit uh, to partner with him on that. We're talking with Savannah Sewell, who is the manager of Dundas Place, looking ahead at kind of a real unveiling of what this is going to be able to do, what this space is like. So, in other words, Friday and Saturday, we're going to be able to wander on Dundas Place. We've just got live music for a lot of the day. Yeah, that's right. Yep, daytime is our focus, and uh, the street will be shut down on Sunday, too, and we've encouraged a lot of our businesses uh, to be open, so maybe you're looking for a coffee, or you just want to you know, grab a bite to eat somewhere and enjoy the street being shut down. Um, so that'll be happening on Sunday as well. A bit more chill, but uh, might as well enjoy the street while we've uh, while we've got it shut down. And uh, yeah, we're just really excited to see it see it in action. How do yeah. we know when the street is shut down and when it's not? You're doing a great job getting the word out right this minute, but is there <laughs> signage at the start of the street? Is there a gate that goes up? What happens? So, yes, there are um, the traditional street closure signs that you've probably noticed if you are in the core, um, and those went up uh, actually last week to start uh, spreading the word. And then actually on the Dundas Place website, um, if you go to dundasplace.ca slash events, you can see there's actually a downloadable PDF with the schedule of all the street closures. So that's a really helpful tool as well, and we've, um, of course, trying to make sure Everybody knows what's going on because um, there's a lot. There's a lot of moving parts to uh, <laughs> to not just pulling off the things on Dundas Street, but just the, it, the Junos in general, right? There's lots. There's lots happening. What does this feel like for everybody involved, waiting to see how it unfolds? How are you sleepless at night, or is it a little <laughs> little bit more controlled than that? I mean, I'd like to think I'm a cool, calm, and collected person, Mike. Um, I feel pretty good. I mean, I'm certainly. Um, feeling a little bit of pressure for sure, uh, you know, just wanting to make sure that I, I do right by our community, and I'm so happy and, and uh, excited that we have such great partners to certainly help pull this off. It's not just me. I need to make that clear. Lots of people helping here. Um, but yeah, no, I'm excited to see it. It's, um, yeah, it's exciting. It's, you know, I got this job in September, so really just diving in, which is exciting because it's going to let us see what Dundas Place can do. And the idea is that 
this is the portfolio piece for folks. So, you know, if you're a third-party organization or a community group and you come and experience things this week, the hope is that you can picture yourself throwing your own event on Dundas Street and Dundas Place. And that's what we hope come, people come away with. Like, oh, I could see my event here um, because we want this space to be for the community. What a great point. Now, if somebody does happen to go experience and say, yeah, we got to be here, do they just call you? <laughs> well, maybe give me a week after the Junos. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, you can email me. Um, uh, we are just working on uh, the, the more admin side of it, so the policies and the procedures of uh, what this thing is going to look like. Um, but, yeah, for now, we're taking inquiries, and uh, we'll do our best to get back to folks. But, um you know, we got to start somewhere, and this is where we're going to start. Great stuff. Well, Savannah, enjoy this week as much as is humanly possible. I know it is a very busy week, but I think the entire city is looking forward to seeing what Dundas Place is all about and the atmosphere that it can create. So job well done already, and we look forward to more in the future. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much. Hope to see you out this weekend. Definitely. Savannah Sewell. And the email, just in case you get down there and you say, you know what, this this is it. This We could do something with this. Manager at dundasplace.ca gets you through to Savannah. Manager at dundasplace.ca. There's something about noise outside. If you hear it, what's that? What, what was that? Oh, what? And that was just a knock on a table. Imagine you throw bands together. Imagine you throw performances together and you just wander in amongst them. That draws attention. That's the kind of thing that so many cities have that in a way London has had in parks, but this is right there on a street. Watch what takes place. Watch the attention that is drawn. I can't wait. Dundas Place kind of put to the test and and unveiled as part of the Junos this week. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Not sure if you noticed in the Raptors game last night, if you weren't paying attention to the Raptors, you would not have. This was only a couple of seconds from it. But Serge Ibaka of the Raptors got involved in an altercation, and there was a fight. Punches were kind of thrown, and Ibaka was ejected. And he's going to miss some games. There was a very interesting tweet that was just posted just now. And that tweet happened to come from, let me see here, um, Matt Latour in Peterborough. What is it about Peterborough guys? He was covering the game and he has a picture. And that picture shows Ibaka missing on kind of a, a roundhouse punch and you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve fans who are visible in the picture. And his line was this in his tweet Not a single cell phone in sight, just people living in the moment. Now, it's just people watching. But interesting how this fight is taking place in front of them, and not one person lifted up their phone. Because anymore, these phones become an extension of the rest of our body. You can't remember an actor's name. What do you do? Oh, what is, who was that person that played in Jurassic World? Remember the guy who was in the scene 
And next thing you know, people are going, just a second, let me find that. Wait a minute. And they grab their phones and, let me see, uh, Jurassic World uh, cast. Let's, uh, I'm, I've almost got, they're not using their brain one little bit. They're just, they're just picking up their phone and saying, oh, it was Vincent D'Onofrio. That's right. He was also the guy in Law and Order. That's the guy I was thinking about. And that's how we solve that now. When, I guess it's healthier to say, well, let's take a moment and think. And you all stand there and go, oh, who's the guy? Didn't he play in something? Yeah, he was He was in Law and Order, but not the regular one. The one, the one, the one, the one. Criminal Intent. Yes, yes, Criminal Intent. Uh, he, was, he was in Full Metal Jacket. Oh, I can picture him. I can see his face. You've been through those. Those are a lot more fun other than, well, let's run through these cast members. Was it this person? No. This one? No. The guy with the beard. Vincent D'Onofrio. And we don't let our minds do that anymore. We do become that reliant on our phones. We have a call right now from the Ontario government to ban cell phones in schools. And they've said public schools right now. But the rules will be set by school boards. In a moment, we're going to talk about that ban. But I want to talk about these phones, period. And there are a couple things that I'm hoping for. It is March break. If you are a student home from school, can you help me out? Can you tell me what life is like in your classroom? How often you wind up using your phone for school purposes? How often maybe you're killing time and you wind up just playing a game? If you could help me out with that. Or here's the gold of this. It is March break. I don't know if we're going to be lucky enough to have any teachers listening, but if you are a teacher, is this something that you are in favor of? Because ultimately, those are the two parties that matter in this whole cell phone in school ban. Those are the two parties that matter, the teacher and the student. I can have my thoughts on it, but I'm not a public school teacher. I'm not a public school student. You can have your thoughts, but ultimately, they are the ones that matter. We'll open up the phones if you have any thoughts right now on a cell phone ban in schools, good, bad, or otherwise. We'll talk about some of the things going on, and then I want to just take these phones completely and talk about them and how they are affecting our world and your world. 519-643-2222 is the number. Phone lines are open. 519-643-2222. We'll hear some thoughts from Laura Elliott in a moment. You can also email mike at 980cfpl.ca. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Okay, time to talk cell phones in schools and cell phones in general. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Here's what we need to know. Education Minister Lisa Thompson has announced that elementary and secondary schools will not have their cell phones in classrooms starting in 2020. Her line, Ontario students need to be able to focus on their learning, not their cell phones. Last fall, we launched the largest ever consultation on education in the history of Ontario. During this consultation, we heard that 97% of respondents support some form of a ban on cell phones. So it takes effect New school year kind of beginning this September, so officially the the school year that ends in 2020, I guess. So that's what we know about that. Here is what we have from the director of the Thames Valley District School Board, Laura Elliott. 
If the province is recommending and, and indicating an outright ban of cell phones, I think that would be problematic um, because we, you know, we a cell phone is a is a computer as well, and our teachers, uh, it, we encourage the use of uh, technology in teaching and learning. Now that sounds very different from what the education minister is saying right off the bat. Let's find out what you are saying. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca or tweet me at stubs980. Pat, lead this off for us, please. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Good. Um, I have a different perspective on this. I've worked in electronic recycling uh, for well over a decade. In fact, I fought against the Ontario Electronic Stewardship Program that came together under McGinty, uh, which was uh, a shame. But uh, anyways, I ran a cell phone store for six years uh, dealing with used phones. And, you know, in that time, we went from having Blackberries. Remember those? Ooh, I do. To, I uh, used to have one. I always loved the keyboard. I still miss that. Yeah, yeah. The tactile feedback, right? Like, it was great. Um, but I saw something happen, which I, I refer to as Google Brain. Basically, nobody needs to think anything because you just look it up. You don't need to know anything. I mean, if I need to change my tire on the side of the road, I might have to look it up. (laughs) Now, do you find that useful in any way? Because you mentioned something practical like changing a tire. You can easily find a video. I don't care if your printer is stuck or your fridge is not running or whatever it is. You click on a video, you write in the model and make, and you've got somebody explaining how to fix that in front of you. But yes, it's helpful. But here's the thing. We're in Canada, and our population resides within 200 miles of the U.S. border for the most part, right? Yes. Um, Problem is, it's very expensive to keep cellular connection across the entire country. So we are in the middle of nowhere. Like, my dad's a retired OPP staff sergeant, right? And the province is massive. So there's a lot of places where there's just no coverage. And if you're out of coverage, you're out of luck if you don't know what you're doing. So we need to learn how to read stuff that's printed on, you know, the hatch where you pull your spare tire out <laughs> might be a good thing. Don't know. Just saying. Pat, I love the call. Thanks so much. Yeah, take care, Mike. Take care. And that's that's part of it. What are what are we doing? To ourselves in not exercising our brain. Because you do hear that. If you're not exercising your brain, and typically when you're just picking up your phone to keep from being bored, you're not exercising your brain. So I don't know what that's going to mean long term for people. I don't see anybody lining up saying, hey, can you put Google into my brain? That may be something that happens eventually, but I think there's a lot that goes into that. I don't know that the human brain would be too happy about having a chip implanted in it. I don't know how all that works. So let's let's leave that because I don't think that's happening. But let's look at what Pat is saying, the idea that you don't have to bother to learn how to do anything. That's absolutely true. And the other thing we need to look at is the use of cell phones in daily life, whether it's classroom, whether it is the workplace. There's a very difficult line in this, and that line is tool versus toy. It is a good tool. I mean, you don't have to buy a scientific calculator because you have a phone. You can download a scientific calculator app. That saves parents. You don't have to have any number of different things. You could have texts that are written and, you know, downloadable or accessible from your phone. We have to look at 
when this changes from a tool to a toy. But even in saying that, here's what I wonder, because I'll tell you right now, I'm on the side of allowing cell phones in the classroom. And here are the examples that I will cite. I teach a couple of hours a week at Fanshawe College. And this is something that as technology became available and became more readily used, you had to kind of balance off. And you still do. Students show up to every class and they have laptops to take notes. Just about every single person has a laptop to take notes. Some will still use a notebook, believe it or not. And in doing so, you have access to the Internet. I've had students who have sat in the class and they have, you know, this is years ago, but they have spent the entire time on their Facebook. So they would, sh- they would show up for school and their entire time they would be on Facebook, not really listening, or they'd flip over and look at something else. Instagram hadn't been invented yet. I feel old. But that's what they would do. And I used to make a big deal about it. And now I don't. I don't make as big a deal about it because it comes down to a choice. It comes down to whether or not you are using what you have in front of you as a tool, so taking notes, paying attention, learning something, or as a toy. And I will always argue with anybody who says, well, if you take away the cell phones, they're going to listen. Are they? Are they going to listen? No, they're not. Do you want me to go and find a 1980s binder? You know what the 1980s binder had on it? Doodles. Lots and lots of doodles, which you kind of did when you were bored. A little picture of something, doodling in the book, or you sat back and chit-chatted with somebody and, you know, figured out, well, we can create some drama here. I'm bored. Let's uh, let's start talking about this person, what they were doing. And that's what they would do. You're away from that now. But your trade-off is when there is free time in the classroom, you have people that are willing to play games. So you look up and they're tilting their phone back and forth and they're playing games. That would be up to the teacher to control. Is it not? That's completely up to the teacher and how they want to run their classroom. In getting rid of phones, I think you are doing a disservice because as much as, yeah, you have to think and stuff, we don't live life in that same world anymore. We don't live life in the, I'm going to access that in a book. And that's what you're doing if there aren't phones. You're asking to access in a book or access in a different way. And I don't think that's right. If you live life and that little computer is in your pocket, should you not have that to help you in school? I'm not saying during tests. I'm not saying you can, you know, store cheat notes on there. But when you are having a discussion in class, I actually like it when somebody can take their phone. And again, this is not elementary school. This is not high school. But when a student can take their phone and say, you know, you were talking about this just now. Here's something that I found. And they contribute it to the conversation. Here's something right here. Have we thought about this? And they contribute it to the conversation. It actually enhances learning in my mind. Am I completely out to lunch? Phone lines are open. 519-643-2222. Cell phones in the classroom. Good idea? Not a good idea. Where do you sit? And then we're going to look at things like fubbing. We haven't been into that just yet because this extends far beyond the classroom. And maybe, just maybe... We're looking at this and saying, okay, it's one thing to to look at it as a tool or a toy, 
What about looking at it as an addiction or as a wall between a couple of people? Something impeding a relationship. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. This is London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. After news, we'll get into fubbing and looking at cell phones in that way. I have an email that's coming from Mark. Mark says, kids should not have cell phones until they are at least in high school. We are far too relaxed with rules on phones. It's going to hurt the future when all of these phone-addicted individuals get older. All right. Well, Mark, here's, here's my concern. Yes, you could say that, and you could be absolutely right, because I think the addictive part of what you have said is exactly right. But here's my concern. You have a vehicle by which kids communicate. And like it or not, that's what does exist. And if your child is 12 or 13, I think you could make a pretty legitimate argument that under 12, you're not going to find that many phones, although I think that number is increasing. But if your child is 12 or 13 and they do not have a cell phone, they're being left out. And I know it sounds insane to say, but they are being left out. It is a vehicle of communication. It's kind of like looking at it, when did your parents allow you to talk to friends on the phone? When did that happen? I don't know. I was about 11, 12 years old. So that people would call and you would talk to them on the phone in the evening. Remember that happened? That was a thing. Some teenagers would spend hours and hours on the phone at night. You'd have to chop up the time if you had more than one person in the household. You had parents that would say, boy, we got to get a second line in this house. I can't get any calls. That's something that was going on. So you have to look at it in that way, that those landlines don't exist in the same way. And kids are not phoning each other to be included in whatever it is. You're entering into a group chat. You're being invited into a group chat. And if you're not invited into that group chat, you're going to be left out. Therefore, if you have no tool to be invited into a group chat, and as much as you might say, well, you know, they don't need to be invited into those group chats. What if it's a study session? What if it is? Because they'll make them up for as as simplistic a thing as that. Hey, we have a math test on Friday. I'm going to create a group chat so that we can kind of go over some things and quiz each other. That will happen. And so that's what you're excluding your child from if you're not allowing them to have a phone. And that's a real tightrope for parents. Do you let them have one because it costs you? And do you kind of have that responsibility placed in their hands that they're going to use it the right way? Because they're only 12. They're only 13. You've got to be there to guide it. You really do. You have to have that rule in my mind that says, if you're going to have a phone, and they'll be all excited. Oh, oh, when I get that phone. Oh, I can't wait to get that phone. If you're going to have a phone, I get your password. And you can't change that password. And any time I ask to see that phone, doesn't matter when it is, you have to turn it over to me and I have to be able to look. And I can look as long as I want. And I can read whatever I want. And that has to be the rule. 
You don't have to have that guidance as a parent. That's in my mind. But if you don't do it, if you don't allow that, then all of a sudden you are excluding your child. You may not think so, but you are. So from that conversation, I think we need to get into another one that deals with phones in general. I want to look at something called fubbing. And we'll do that after Jacqueline LaBelle and news, because this takes it away from kids and teachers, and this just blankets it. This is something that we all deal with. If you own a cell phone, you deal with it. So we'll look at that. We're also going to talk some marijuana in hour number two, and we're going to meet somebody that, who knows, may save the world by the end of this next weekend. All of that and more, still ahead on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. How far will parents go for their kids? That seems to be playing out right now in the U.S. Did you catch the story that Jacqueline LaBelle had just now? And the idea that you have a college entrance scam. You have a guy that was running something called The Key. And this was one of those ways to help your kids score higher on SATs and those sorts of scores that you need in the United States. Now, this is a completely U.S. thing, but you have his name was William Rick Singer, and he founded a a for profit college counseling and prep business, and he ended up calling it the key and. The indictment alleges that he would help students score better on SAT tests by cheating on the test. So they would have somebody take the test for those students. Or one of the other allegations is you would be able to admit somebody on an athletic scholarship or be for athletic reasons, and they weren't an athlete. They would find ways to bribe coaches to put this person technically down as an athlete. I don't think they were even on the team. They certainly weren't able to play on whatever team it was. And one of the things that one parent has said about this is that this William Rick Singer guy told them, quote, now this is according to the parent, okay, so who we are, what we do is we help the wealthiest families in the U.S. get their kids into school. You want the best for your kids, absolutely. And that just fuels certain things, doesn't it? Fuels things in the minor sports world. Look at some of the stories we have about hockey parents. It was nice to be able to tell a happy hockey parent story not too long ago. But sometimes it's about making yourself the manager so that your son or daughter makes that team. That happens all the time. You can take a roster of players, and you can match up last names with the manager, the goalie coach, one of the assistant coaches, and that brings the politics into it. It's unfortunate, but it happens. And then you look at it from an education standpoint. Those with money get used to being able to push. And because of that, we now see allegations against recognizable people. Felicity Huffman, who was on Desperate Housewives, 
and Lori Loughlin, who was in Full House and, I don't know, something else. Something else I didn't watch. Something about California. It was some California town. Orangeville, something like that. Um, But that's the kind of stuff that goes on. You want the best, and if you have the ability, maybe they got caught up innocently. They're both charged with mail fraud, and I think one of them has a husband who is charged with mail fraud. So who knows how they got wrapped up into this? Who knows what role they played in it? Their faces are on it. But it goes to that question, what would you do to help your kids get ahead? And that answer is getting scarier and scarier by the day. We were talking about cell phones last half hour, and we were talking about a cell phone ban in school and the way that it would play out, some of the concerns that you would have. How about the use of our cell phones, period? I want to point to something that Jacqueline Carbone came across, and it was a word. And you can ask around. You can ask anybody that you know, hey, if you heard of this, try it. Fubbing. Now, it's a term that may or may not catch on. You might hear it here and now and never hear it again. But fubbing is the word. What is fubbing? Well, fubbing is an epidemic, and it is. And it is the act of phone snubbing. So you have someone, you're having a conversation with them, you have a phone that is accessible to you, and it goes off, or at some point you just pick it up and you start looking through whatever it is, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just checking something out, checking some scores. I know I've done it doing that. And you don't realize how insensitive you are being, but you're being insensitive. Now, fubbing lists a number of questions to figure out whether or not you are guilty of this. And these particular questions were actually put together by EducateInspireChange.org. So it's a a mental health site. So EducateInspireChange.org. And here are the nine questions. Just try this out. Number one, during a typical mealtime, that my partner and I spend together, my partner pulls out and checks his or her cell phone. So during a meal, or do you have no phones at the table? Uh, Number two, my partner places his or her cell phone where they can see it when we're together. So you just have it within reach. Number three, my partner keeps his or her cell phone in their hand while they're with me. Four, when my partner's cell phone rings or beeps, they pull it out even if they're in the middle of, even if we're in the middle of a conversation. Number five, my partner looks at his or her cell phone when talking to me. (laughs) Number six, during leisure time that my partner and I are able to spend together, my partner uses his or her cell phone. Seven, my partner uses his or her phone when we're talking. Eight, my partner uses his or her phone when we're out together. And number nine, if there's a lull in our conversation, my partner will check their cell phone. Those are the things that they have put it down to, and that right there is fubbing. See if you can catch your partner, your friend, your child, whoever it is. See if you can catch them fubbing in the next little while. And what do we do with this? Because it does become that habit. And it isn't easy to break. And this is the thing that that concerns me going forward for a younger generation. There are a lot of things that bring acceptance. Whether they have been snap streaks on Snapchat where you snap somebody and they snap you back and you keep that going and it it keeps a tally. You know, that's Snapchat getting people to use their app. That's why they put that in place. 
And if you break a streak, well, then that's a bad thing. Oh, somebody snubbed me basically on the phone. Or you post a picture, and if you don't get enough likes, you feel bad. That's the kind of stuff that makes these things into a sickness. And those are the kinds of things that do exist. I don't know what we do about that. I guess we try and catch ourselves and say, you know, what is most important here? Is it checking this little device or is it the person that I'm with? And that's honestly what it comes down to. Oh, no, you're, you're turning that into something that it isn't. No, that's what it is. What's more important, the device in your hand or the person you're with? That's the question you really have to ask. We will return in a moment, and we'll talk more about marijuana. I'm very interested to speak with our next guest. Ethan Russo is the Director of Research and Development with the International Cannabis and Cannabinoids Institute. And he'll talk about how the rest of the world is looking at Canada now that we are coming up on, let's see, uh, November, December, January, February, March, the five-month anniversary of pot becoming legal or cannabis becoming legal in Canada comes up on Sunday. Boy, March 17th is a busy day. Juno's, St. Patrick's Day, five-month anniversary of legal cannabis in Canada. So how is the rest of the world looking at us? Well, Ethan Russo will help us to understand. That's next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up on the show, we're just going to continue to illustrate how busy Sunday is. We're not supposed to have busy Sundays. That's supposed to be kind of an off day, right? Well, St. Patrick's Day, the Junos will be handed out in London, Ontario. We'll have red carpets all over the place. In about 20 minutes from now, we'll meet Flora's son, who is going to be having a 12-hour she hacks three competition in which they may just solve some problems in the world. And it will also be yet another anniversary of cannabis becoming legal in Canada. And joining us right now is Ethan Russo. And Ethan is the director of research and development of the International Cannabis and Cannabinoids Institute. And he's been able to kind of look around and see how the rest of the world has been monitoring what has been taking place in Canada since the legalization of cannabis and marijuana. Ethan joins us right now. Ethan, how are you doing? Just fine, thank you. Hopefully the same for you and the listeners. It has been. Now, you know what? We have been following cannabis in this country with maybe uh, maybe a, a special fervor over the last little while. And we've been paying attention to what's happened since we had legislation making cannabis legal in Canada. But this stretches far beyond Canada. This topic is around the world, has been for a long time. If you look at maybe a, a recent decision by the World Health Organization, uh, can you shed some light on, on how cannabis is being dealt with around the globe? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, it gets a little confusing because of different numbers uh, assigned to regulation of cannabis, but um, there was a thing called the Single Convention Treaty in 1961, that place cannabis in two different schedules. Schedule one, which is for controlled drugs that would still be allowed in research and in medicine, and schedule four, the forbidden drugs um, that were dangerous or addictive. Um, cannabis was in both. 
the recent decision by the World Health Organization has taken it out of Schedule 4. Um, so there is no longer a basis for any country to forbid medical use of cannabis based on international treaties. Additionally, cannabidiol has been descheduled. Uh, it's no longer a controlled, uh, should not be a controlled drug on an international level. Uh, so specifically for Canada, um, this uh, lends credence to the um, medical allowances that have been in place. There was, would still be issues, possibly internationally, about the legalization effort, although I certainly would not expect any kind of international sanctions on Canada or Uruguay or other nations that are anticipating similar moves. We're talking with Dr. Ethan Russo, the Director of Research and Development with the International Cannabis and Cannabinoids Institute. How closely is Canada being monitored? We weren't necessarily the first, but are we a pilot project for other countries kind of watching and seeing what they might do? Oh, absolutely. Um, This has had influence all over the world. Um, You've seen uh, the program increase in Israel that's just uh, for the first time uh, allowed exports. Um, And uh, throughout Latin America, Southern Africa, and even East Asia, we're seeing a movement um, towards liberalization, at least on the medical side, and towards legalization in some instances as well. Um, A lot of this uh, has been spearheaded and influenced by Canada. When we look at concerns that maybe we should have, is it a long list in your mind? Is it not much of a list? Uh, No, I think that uh, the caveat that I would offer is that uh, Canada's other nations should be enforcing strict standards on cannabis as medicine, also providing better information to consumers in terms of the composition of the material that they might be buying, uh, specifically uh, the cannabinoid content, the terpenoid content. These are the major chemicals in cannabis that influence its effects, but also safety factors to ensure that there are no molds, uh, no heavy metals, no polyaromatic hydrocarbons. The latter um, can uh, be cancer-causing agents. Uh, the risk is very low, but... Um, we're all about standards and safety, um, so I think that uh, this should always be a prime consideration. When we look at the risk of all of those things, how prominent is the risk, do you find? Uh, well, generally low. Uh, the greatest risk is with pesticides, and this is a totally avoidable situation. Basically, there are no approved pesticides uh, for a smoke product and none uh, approved for cannabis. However, um, now that cannabis is coming out of the shadows and uh, there is the possibility of legal commerce, we should be looking more at greenhouse cultivation and outdoor cultivation as opposed to the clandestine indoor uh, cultivation that's been the norm uh, for decades because of its illegality. Indoor uh, cultivation is really much more prone to pests and diseases. Um, And because cannabis has been such a high-priced commodity, uh, 
some growers have turned to use of uh, synthetic pesticides to try and salvage a crop. But uh, these are potentially dangerous in the long term, uh, and certainly it's necessary to monitor for those. Joining us on London Live, Dr. Ethan Russo, who is the Director of Research and Development with the International Cannabis and Cannabinoids Institute. Now, would they be any more dangerous than anything that is used on any of the other foods, fruits, vegetables, things like that that we eat? Uh, Well, a lot of them could be washed off, um, but with a a product that's dried and often smoked, um, plus it's an instant gateway into the body by inhalation. Unfortunately, we're well aware that if pesticides are present, they do get into the smoke and would be easily absorbed. Um, So I don't wish to raise uh, alarms that are unwarranted. The short-term risk is very low. Long-term potential is there for there being problems with uh, hormonal disruption, even cancer uh, down the road. But um, overall, cannabis should be a very safe product, well within established norms for um, regular pharmaceuticals. So, again, we shouldn't overemphasize the dangers. I'm just advocating for high standards um, through Health Canada and other regulatory bodies. Overall, Dr. Russo, in conclusion, how have we done so far in Canada in terms of making cannabis legal in your mind? Uh, Well, again, a leader. um, I, I think things can always be better. As it stands, most of the licensed producers have very similar products in terms of their profiles. I'd like to see um, more uh, genetic development uh, to allow cannabis to have its full medical potential. So there is great room for improvement, um, but certainly the legislative moves that have been advanced um, are very helpful for Canada and uh, give an example that the rest of the world can follow. Dr. Russo, it's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. My pleasure. Dr. Ethan Russo, Director of Research and Development with the International Cannabis and Cannabinoids Institute. So he does look at Canada as being a leader. There are those concerns when you are growing the product as to the regulations, the pesticides used, those sorts of things. Interesting to hear what he said at the end, the idea that he would like to see more licensed producers looking into ways to improve it, even genetically, to take advantage of the health aspects that cannabis and that marijuana can provide. And that opens up a whole new chapter of things in terms of how much modification should be allowed. What is happening with that modification? But as he says, most licensed producers are creating a very similar product at the moment. And a lot of them are just fighting for that shelf space almost where, okay, who's going to be allowed to sell this? Who's going to be allowed to make this and how's all of that going to work? So that's kind of the stage that we're at. Will we develop different areas in terms of, okay, well, these guys have gone medicinal, these guys have gone recreational, these guys have gone in a direction that we didn't even see coming? Maybe. Absolutely. But right now, we're still kind of in that very infant stage. 519-643-2222. Bob, I know you've chimed in on this topic before. What are your thoughts today? 
Yeah, like I've been uh, buying uh, my medical uh, cannabis for about five years now from the same company. And uh, what I've noticed is uh, a lot of what your uh, your guest was saying. They, they, they're, they're really thorough in what they do. And what I'm really impressed on is when I buy my products, um, uh, every everyone has a, uh, a sheet that you can download on on that crop, and it goes through all the testing that was done for pesticides, molds, and and anything else. There's actually they don't use pesticides at all, like zero. They're not allowed to. Uh, what company I buy mine from, anyways? And uh, so you're getting a really clean product. You know exactly what it is. It has to uh, pass stringent government and health Canada criteria. So that's an ensuring for sure. And in terms of the companies themselves, what they're doing, uh, there um, there's a lot of really good companies in the, in this in this uh, country that are really focused on the medical. That I've noticed. Uh, they they actually put for uh, you know the medical uh, cannabis in the forefront, and they hold it for the patients rather than sell it recreationally. So that's that, that's reassuring if you need your medicine all the time. Uh, but the products that I've been buying, the companies that I or the one company I buy mine off, is exceptional. They're the biggest in the world. Uh, they're the Canopy Growth Corporation, and and uh, just to give you some insight on how huge Canada is in this industry. Uh, just about every big player in Canada has supply contracts around the world, and, and and they're in like anywhere from ten to like twelve countries. So they've got these commitments with other countries to supply a product. So the industry is going to be absolutely huge. And uh, but I'm impressed so far what I see, uh, and I think the most important thing over and over. It, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, I can buy it on the street a little cheaper," but you know what? You don't know what you're getting, and and it's good to know. When I get my uh, my product, that I know exactly what it is. I know exactly the contents of THC or CBD, and what the process has been through the uh, you know the whole span of that particular lot. Absolutely, and, uh, and Bob, I think yeah. that you raise a great point in that I don't think many of us realize that you would be able to get that detailed an account of where it came from, how it was manufactured, what was done, and that is pretty comforting. Bob, we got to run for news. Thanks so much for all of that info. Hey, yeah, and one quick thing, Mike. Yeah. Buy stock. I'm telling <laughs> you now, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Uh, and, okay, quick tip. I've, I've invested in this five years ago, and I did a lot of research. And put your money down on Aurora and, and the Canopy Growth Corporation. I'm telling you, um, <laughs> I'm not going to get in numbers, but i got a smile on my face. Uh, <laughs> I, hey, I've, I've heard that coming from a few people. Yeah. So, Bob, thanks so much for the call today. Really appreciate your thoughts and your opinions. All right, take care, Mike. Take care. All right, we'll take a break. Jacqueline LaBelle is next with news, and then we are going to meet somebody who may change our world. Who knows? May save our world. And if she doesn't, well, somebody next to her on Sunday might just do that. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Here's a little something that was brought up by the American affiliate of CARP. CARP is the Canadian Association of Retired Persons. ARP, I always thought they should change that name. ARP is the American Association of Retired Persons, and they claim that we've got more and more people being called seniors who are over the age of 50. And that for a couple of years, we've been using the term 50 plus instead of the term senior. 
I thought senior was 65. Although anymore, it is tough to tell how old somebody is. You have kind of ranges. You can tell somebody is between 25 and 40, but you can't necessarily pinpoint an age. You can tell that somebody is between 40 and 70, but you can't necessarily pinpoint an age. You go gray early. You maybe develop some wrinkles early or the opposite. You don't go gray and you keep a full head of hair or you don't develop wrinkles very easily. You can't tell how old anybody is, but it gets back to words. Should it matter? People who hate political correctness will say, no, forget it. Call people what you want. It does harken back to something that the NHL has investigated and they have came out or they have come out now with a decision on, and that was whether or not a homophobic slur was uttered last night in the game between the Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the NHL has ruled, no, we're not, there's not going to be any punishment. There's, there's no real, you know, no real proof that there was a homophobic slur. So that at least brought the conversation to light because a few weeks ago on London Live and also on Around the OHL, which is our weekly podcast about the Ontario Hockey League, we talked to Brock McGillis. And Brock McGillis played in the Ontario Hockey League, and Brock McGillis is gay. And he spends a lot of his time right now trying to educate young people and especially young athletes that just because the dressing room door or the locker room door closes doesn't mean you can say whatever you want to. And I really believe young people are getting better at this because they're not afraid to step forward and say, you can't say that. There are certain words that you just need to get rid of. And as much as you want to call it political correctness, no, there are certain words that don't need to be said. And you can name them. George Carlin used to do seven words that can't be said. Well, now we've got more words, name type words, description type words that can't be said. And to at least bring this conversation to light actually works in the favor of the NHL where, wait a minute, you know, you, you can see what the allegation was as to what word was said. It was a homophobic slur. And you think, okay, well, yeah, no, that's, that's not a word that belongs anymore. It's another F word, doesn't belong anymore. Just don't say it. And that was a message from Brock McGillis that I really hope he continues to push through because it's an important one. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll talk with someone who is going to be helping to oversee an important competition. And it's a competition that will look at solving a problem of the world or a few problems of the world in a hacking session that will take place at Western University on what is very quickly shaping up to be one of the busier days of the calendar here in London, Ontario, St. Patrick's Day, Juno's. I said fifth anniversary of marijuana becoming legal, cannabis becoming legal. No, that's nobody's celebrating that. But they do have the SheHack 3. What's, what is, is that a razor? No, 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 no. It's not a razor. This is a competition, and we're going to find out more about it in just a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Solving the problems of the world. A lot of times we can sit back and chat away. 
talk till we run out of words to say, and we haven't solved much. This weekend, there is a competition that is going to be going on that brings together some of the brightest female minds in this area and other areas, too. And they take a look at some of the problems of the world, and they may actually come up with some solutions. Joining us right now to talk about the third annual She Hacks, which is called She Hacks 3, happens to be Flora Sun, head of marketing of the Women in Technology Society at Western University. And She Hacks 3 is set to take place this weekend. Hi, Flora. Hi, Mike. Uh, how are you? Great. Um, Sunday is shaping up to be a really massive day in this area. Let's see. It is St. Patrick's Day because it's March 17th. It is the date when the Junos will be held in London. And you also have something pretty major taking place. She Hacks 3. Can you give us an example of, of or at least maybe a, a definition of She Hacks 3? Yeah, absolutely. So She Hacks 3 is Canada's largest all-female 12-hour hackathon held at Western University. And what we're looking to do is give women a chance to learn how to code and really apply technology within the sector. And we want to solve the world's uh, pressing problems. I love this idea. So basically the world's problems are going to be there and anyone who wants to pick one of them and solve it, go for it. Yes, we have specific challenges from our sponsors. So there are specific tasks that they need to solve, but we're able to solve all these tasks using a lot of new technology, machine learning, uh, basic coding, and et cetera. Are all of the tasks secret up until the hackathon begins, or can you give us a sense of what they may be asked to look at? Yeah, um, they're going to be secret until the hackathon begins since it's a 12-hour constrained time frame. Um, but at the hackathon, we'll be giving all the resources to the hackers to uh, be able to solve these issues from workshops from our sponsors such as TD, Bell, um, DriveHer, and IBM. We're talking with Flora Sun, head of marketing for the Women in Technology Society at Western University, as we look at She Hacks 3, which, as Flora has outlined, is the largest 12-hour all-female hackathon. What does it mean to have this as an all-female hackathon? Can you give us kind of a, a sense of, of what that is like? Yeah. So the tech space can be a very difficult place for females, you know, it's very difficult to break into the tech space in the first place. And we want to build a pipeline from Western and in the greater Toronto area as well to bring women into the technology space and give them the resources, the networks um, to be able to succeed in the industry. What do you think leads to it being a difficult industry for females to get into? What are the challenges you've been facing? Yeah, so personally, I know it was very difficult for me to get into tech in the first place to be interested because it can be really intimidating, you know. Um, growing up, you don't really necessarily think of yourself as someone who would go and become a coder, become an engineer and into those STEM fields. But when you're able to surround yourself with people who are like you, who are going to support you in, in what you do, I think that is something that is extremely powerful and something that Women in Technology Society promotes. What was it like when you started meeting people who thought like you did, and who maybe had gone through those same experiences. Yeah, to see them face a lot of similar challenges and be able to overcome those challenges and ultimately succeed in an industry that is um, very fast-paced, very challenging, and a difficult 
oftentimes difficult place to be, I think it's really empowering and it's great to see people like you succeed and you think that you can do it as well. Flora Sun joining us as we talk about She Hacks 3, which is coming up on Sunday, 12-hour hackathon where the problems of the world are going to be out there, and who knows, we may get some pretty interesting solutions to them, something that could actually be applied real world. Flora's the head of marketing at the Women in Technology Society at Western University. Flora, when it comes to being involved in tech, you mentioned the word coding. Is that where things start these days, that you better be able to code in a language in order to be involved? Um, Absolutely not. I think tech is a space that offers something for everyone. So a lot of the times people who don't have any technical background come to SheHacks. Actually, that's a large proportion of um, individuals who do come to SheHacks. They get to learn the skills of coding because it's kind of the basis of tech. But for sure, tech is very inclusive. They include... Um, roles in designing, which is a huge aspect of, of a lot of tech companies, and as well, um, various business roles, marketing, et cetera. All these components are tied into technology, and it's more like how is technology being used in every single industry and not just, you know, the idea of just coding. When you look at some of the things that have happened at SheHacks competitions, there was something in a recent competition that actually looked at Parkinson's and maybe a, a, a way to help people who have Parkinson's. What was that? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of different issues that are being solved at hackathons, and um, one of my friends actually did take a look at a solution um, to Parkinson's and how they can control movements in Parkinson's um, you know, with, with people facing di- disease. But I think in general, when we're looking to solve problems, we're solving real-world problems, with whether that be with diseases, with interface problems, with um, problems that students face every day. All these issues can be tackled at hackathons, and that's what we aim to promote um, innovation and disruption um, at SheHacks as well. When do you guys get going on this? When is the, uh, the green flag wave to start it off? Yeah, so um, hacking begins on Sunday at 10 a.m., and it concludes at 10 p.m. So it's a 12-hour hackathon, and in between there's workshops that participants can go to, and we also provide three meals throughout the day. Now, is this still open to anyone, or is the is the participation all locked up right now? Yeah, so each year we open applications um, earlier in the year, so we open applications in January, February, and then the hackathon actually happens in March. So unfortunately, this year our applications are closed, but next year, keep an eye out, we'll definitely be accepting around 300 uh, students who are looking to hack. Fantastic stuff. Well, best of luck solving problems of the world. If you don't do it this Sunday, I like knowing that you guys are thinking like this and that maybe you can do it as the future unfolds on us. Flora, thanks so much for describing She Hacks 3 and enjoy the 12 hours on Sunday. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. Flora Sun, head of marketing, women and technology society at Western University. And interesting to hear her talk about having to get into that field and how few women there were in it and really still are where maybe coding was kind of a thing that that guys did as kids, not so much that girls did as kids way back and that that has kind of changed and continues to change. So she hacks three. We'll see what problems of the world they can come up with solutions for. We will take a break. I want to get to a question I just got in an email and a couple of other things. One more story, too. Crazy story. Wild story. That's still to come on London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
Did just get a question asking, are OHL players tested for drugs? The answer is yes. There are random drug tests that can come up. So, yes, OHL players are tested for drugs. Uh, Also, Morgan Riley has been speaking out. There was an incident last night that kind of blew up overnight in the Toronto Maple Leafs-Tampa Bay Lightning game in which there was an allegation that a microphone had caught a homophobic slur that was uttered by a player and Morgan Riley was kind of pointed to at an official. And so the NHL has investigated and they've said, no, this this did not happen. And there are some really neat things coming out. One of them from Toronto Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas, who had said he was really surprised to hear that Morgan Riley was accused of something like this or alleged to have done something like this because of his work within the LGBTQ community and the fact that he had already approached the Toronto Maple Leafs asking for a part or asking to be involved on behalf of the Maple Leafs in the Pride Parade and Pride festivities coming up in Toronto in the summertime. And so it was it was found that, no, this this was not a thing. But it has brought a conversation up. We talked a little bit about this a little while ago. And and it is such a positive conversation. Uh, one of the things that Riley had said is, quote, the fact that it's an important issue, I'm very happy it came out today, that it wasn't used by me. It's an opportunity for us as a team to realize there's no place for slurs like that in sport and in life. And again, it comes down to we could make a list of words. And these words... Don't work anymore. Just don't use them. And you can yell about political correctness all you want. They're hurtful words. That's why they were created. Don't use those words anymore. And that's what it should come down to. So the fact that this conversation comes out, and again, I encourage you to check out some of the work by Brock McGillis, who works with a lot of young people, and actually told the story on an Around the OHL podcast of being at a workout session and having a couple of players there. One was a little older, one was younger, and the younger one happened to use a word. I'm not sure what word it was. He didn't say what word it was. We can picture whatever one we want. But the younger player used a word. And immediately, the older one went over and didn't curse him out, didn't didn't say anything other than, hey, uh, just so you know, we don't use that word here. And it's kind of a big deal to the rest of us. So just from now on, you're new here. Don't worry about it. But just from now on, just so you know, we don't use that word here. And the younger player kind of felt embarrassed a little bit. You're going to, but you're going to remember that moment. And you want to bet that that player never uses whatever that word was ever again. Simply because that was how it was handled. This was an older player that he looked up to. The player happened to be an OHLer. This younger guy probably wanted to one day be in the OHL. And that's the way it was handled. Nothing bad, nothing punitive. Just, hey, we need to change the way that society acts and the way that society deals with things like this. And it's not about political correctness. Please don't get that confused because it's not about political correctness in a case like this. It is simply hurtful to somebody, so don't do it. And you don't need any more of a message than that. The Washington football team 
needs to really look at itself. You can say, hey, we've got years of history. Yeah, okay. Well, the word that you use as a nickname is hurtful to people. So get rid of it. We've seen a number of teams do that. That's the kind of thing that needs to happen as well. That would be a big step. That would be a really big step. But I don't think that Washington team is going to do it. Well, we are out of time. We have coming up next news with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick. And we're going to look at more details on what is happening with regard to 737s and whether or not we're seeing more airlines ground those planes, whether or not people are going to be flying on those planes given another crash and a very tragic crash on the weekend. That and more on the way. As we continue in Juno's week, this has been London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.